0: what's up everyone welcome to the finance for physicians podcast i'm your host daniel wren join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives you can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. let's jump into today's episode hey everyone hope you're having a great day or night or drive or run or whatever you're doing PSLP has been a hot topic really for many years now um, I'm sure for those that haven't heard of it, it's Public Service Loan Forgiveness. Um, I, I can't keep up with the number of people that I've talked to that are have concern about PSLF, uh, whether or not it's going to pan out. A lot of people I've talked to um, have completely pulled the, you know, thrown in the towel on PSLF and refinanced to five to to private student loans strictly because they're concerned about the viability of the program. So there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of concern, a lot of uh, questions. Is it going to pan out? That sort of thing. Hopefully you haven't pulled the plug on it completely. Um, I think that would be a big mistake. But today we're going to be talking about why, and and we're going to talk with someone that has some some experience with it and that is able to share their story of actually receiving PSLF and getting that full forgiveness approval. So if you're already going to be working for a qualified employer, I think you know it's always going to be making sense to at least leave that PSLF option open. Now, if you stay with them for the long haul, great. Now, PSLF is definitely not without flaws. I've, I've written about it in the past. In 2016, I wrote about PSLF being a ticking time bomb. Um, and and that, that was not because I thought the government was going to you know, stiff people or that sort of thing. It, it's more because I saw how many borrows themselves were having trouble with keeping up with all these requirements and doing what they needed to do on their end. Um, and that's, that's really panned out over the years um, is people have received, you know, declines from PSLF, mainly because they weren't doing what they needed to do to tr- to, to be on track for it. Now, recently there's been big news Uh, in the form of the PSLF waiver, which has been huge for those borrowers that uh, were working towards PSLF, but weren't quite checking all the many PSLF boxes. They basically reduce the requirements and make it easier, much, much easier to to qualify for uh, PSLF uh, payments. But uh, if you haven't heard about the PSLF, PSLF waiver and you still have federal loans, definitely check out our episode on that. I'll link to that in the show notes that' that's, that's going to be a huge deal for some borrowers but either either way no matter what the situation is you know waiting for something like pslf i know that that can be a big stress and um there's lots of questions that come up like what if they change the rules like what if they decide not to approve me what if i don't qualify and i don't, I don't realize it you know what if they just decide to stiff us i mean there's uh, and, and, and maybe you haven't really heard of any, any of your buddies that have re- actually received it yet. So I think it would be nice, um, and we've heard this from a lot of people, m- if we could just find somebody that's actually received it. So today we're going to be talking with a physician that has actually received it. And he's going to be sharing his story, talking through his experience in dealing with PSLF. Hopefully, you guys will benefit from hearing. He's got some tidbits about it, some uh, tricks of, of uh, going through it that I think will benefit you guys. So we'll jump into that now. Neil, thanks for joining me today to chat about your story. Thanks, Daniel, for having me. Yeah, so I'm excited to be talking talking with you about your PSLF experience. And we were talking about it a little bit before we hit the record button. But so I definitely want to talk through your experience with it. But before we jump into that, I'd love I'd, I'd love it if you could share just kind of a a little bit of background about where you're at in life and your story and that sort of thing.
1: Oh, sure. So, uh, I'm a physician. I did my medical school and everything in the Midwest and Northwestern. And, uh, I'm on faculty at the university of California, Irvine school of medicine. I've been there now for seven years. Uh, I was fortunate that, um, he was able to use part of my residency, all of my fellowship, and the seven years that I've been on faculty to make the required ten years for the Public Service Loan Forgiveness program. Uh, reality, I would have qualified three years earlier if I had known about the program when it first uh, first came out. Uh, but that said, I think I'm still probably in the earlier group of people that are getting their forgiveness. So it's uh, it's one of those things where it could have been done earlier, sure. But uh, it, I'm so glad it got done at the time that it that it sort of did. Yeah. So for all y'all listening,
0: he's using keywords, done is very important. (laughs) A lot of, we'll get into the details of that, but he is done with PSLF as in his balance is zero. I think that's important to clarify, but I guess before we talk through that and how your experience kind of getting to that point, you said your first three years, you weren't aware of,
1: of PSLF. Is that correct? Like your first three years of training? Correct. So my residency was a four-year program. And it wasn't until I started in 2008. It wasn't until 2011, after some Googling that I realized, oh, there's this public service thing. And oh, I need to have a direct loan. And meanwhile, I was paying my previous servicer quite a bit of money, just trying to make uh, the, the interest and in maybe a little bit then some. And so I, I, I was not aware that it had even sort of come out until three years into the training. Did you have FFEL loans? I did. So both of okay. my, both of my loans were FFEL subsidized and and unsubsidized. Okay. So for those that aren't familiar,
0: that's, that type of loan is not around anymore, but um, used to be kind of a federal loan, did not qualify for PSLF. So like about half the people back then had FFEL loans completely did not qualify for PSLF. Now, because of this waiver thing that's come out recently, they're now qualified. So you can check out a prior episode, we talked about the waiver, if you wanna kind of learn more about that. But the, the problem was, and so I was working in the industry back then in 2008 and working with physicians with financial aspects. And that was, it was interesting because basically nobody knew about PSLF. It was like, I'm surprised you, you it sounds like you had some initiative to kind of figure it out yourself.
1: Yeah, I have this freak out moment realizing how am I going to, wondering on a, at least then on resident wages, how am I going to pay off these loans? What's going to happen down the line? And then realize that there's probably nothing to be lost by, for my case, at least for, by consolidating these into this direct loan, uh, and, and having a, a loan format that at least qualifies me to undergo pslf whether or not i chose to go into public service at the end or 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 not at least to have that option open for me personally it, it kind of made sense uh at, at that point okay gotcha so you started in the
0: program in 2011 hence we're in 2021 it's 10 years later since you must have been making payments the entire time along that 10-year period right yeah
1: so i was paying on an income-based plan uh initial payment plan was the the pay-as-you-earn plan, which was 15% of discretionary income every month. And so that was the payment plan that I was using um, off the bat. And then later on, I think it was during the Obama administration that the repay, the uh, revised pay-as-you-earn payment option came out and that was 10% of one's discretionary income every month. And so uh, I switched into that program and then uh COVID sort of happened in i think it was march 2020 where there was this administrative freeze where uh zero dollar payments every month that but each month that you're still employed in public service counts as a qualifying payment so pretty much the last bit of it from march 2020 until my 120th month, which was October 2021, uh, that part was written out at uh, at zero dollar monthly payments, which all qualified to to get me through. Which is a home run. I mean, that's a which huge is, which deal.
0: Which is an absolute home run. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> That is a huge deal because it's like, I mean, I'm just, you know, let's use average physician income kind of numbers. It's like if you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or something. And I mean, you're going to be paying, you know, thousand plus dollar a month payments times, you know, 20 months or whatever it is, it's tens of thousands of dollars, pretty much on the low end of value that's happening due to this COVID $0 payments. So, and it timing worked out really well for you because you were at the back end of PSLF, right? When this stuff, you know, started to
1: wrap up. Absolutely. And so I didn't have to, fortunately, worry about the the resumption of these payments and 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 getting used to kind of having more cash flow in, in in my bank account on a monthly basis. The 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 other thing too, with regards to these these monthly payments, I think I was probably around eleven or twelve hundred or so before they stopped. Uh, I was trying to do everything I could, of course, to minimize my my adjusted gross. So really trying to take advantage of all the. Pre-tax savings offerings uh, that were afforded through my employer. Uh, we have access to actually two separate um, streams: the 403b and 457. So, maxing out both of those, minimizing my adjusted gross to try to thereby also save for retirement and minimize my monthly monthly payments being made. Uh, but definitely, you know, as you as you progress in your career, then. Your monthly payments are gonna sort of go up. So to have had the COVID administrative freeze was, as as uh, Daniel said, a, a definite home run. <laughs> yeah, like we were saying at the beginning. I
0: mean, COVID's very unfortunate, but there's been lots of uh, programs out there that have been financially beneficial. Um, so job wise, uh, it's always uh, I, t- I talk with a lot of uh, early career physicians or you know medical students even, and it seems like a lot of them say stuff like I'm going for PSLF or it's like PSLF first and then job second. It's like I am looking for jobs because I'm going for PSLF, I'm looking for PSLF qualified jobs. We were talking about as well before we started recording this idea of maybe you ought to think about like job first, PSLF second. If you happen to end up being in a PSLF qualified job, great. Is that maybe you could expand upon kind of your thoughts on that and like how you view a job as it relates to PSLF?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really, really important point to bear in mind because the we, I would say definitely don't have the focus on on loans and PSLF to the point where you, you sort of jeopardize your career and end up stuck for multiple years doing something you really don't want to do. It, it's just not worth it what is is important of course to be prudent and make the make the spreadsheets and even calculators to think okay if i do a job in, in public service which often especially in academics are going to pay lower than what you could make in sort of private practice then where is my break even here and what is my quality of life going to look like what is my enjoyment of life going to look like versus if i were to do say a, a, a private practice gig and, uh, and and have higher earning potential uh, and still be paying and, and sort of be obligated to pay off my loans. And so I, I know people who've done it sort of both ways and it, who've gone into academia because they love academia, who've gone into private practice because they felt that was better oriented for them. And, and, and truth be told, both have done sort of just fine. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you right. go into if you go into if you go into private practice and things like that, the earning potential is is there. Where generally speaking, you can go off and pay your student loans off, and and in a reasonable amount of time, uh, you can even get concessions from employers, things like that, to that, that help with loan forgive, uh, loan repayment. Uh, whereas if you are in say an academic institution, you might have access to things like various pension plans, and defined pension benefits, depending on how long you stay, how long you vest. But at the end of the day, it's really important to put your interest first and then see how much is the uh, amount of loans that are on the table going to weigh in to that decision-making.
0: Yeah, ideally you find that you love a job and it happens to also be PSL qualified. Or maybe it's not, and then you're, in medicine, you're financially still going to be fine. It's a good earning, high-earning career. And um, there's also this other camp of people working in um, – Hospitals, non-academic, that are earning very high
1: income, that are still PSLF qualified. And it, it, it really depends on how the how how the hirings kind of kind of work. If it's directly hired by the hospital versus on behalf of a group through the hospital. If it's on behalf of a group through the hospital, then. It can be a little bit trickier because even if the hospital is a 501 youth organization, then the, the group itself may not be because you're being hired on behalf of the group. So that may not necessarily qualify. But if it's directly employed by a hospital, and, it, and this probably depends on what, what, what state it's in and then how the laws kind of work. But if it's, if one is employed directly by a 501 youth organization, certainly academia is not the, the, the only way to do it. Any, uh, any not for profit, uh, organization would, would qualify from a a hospital type standpoint for, for sure. And that's, that's a very good point. So
0: at any point, I mean, 10 years is a long time, but at any point that you can think of or remember
1: along the way, were you concerned about like the viability of PSLF? Uh, Yeah, there were a few scares. Um, I mean, even, even off the bat, you had people who were the naysayers saying like, you know, how can you trust the government? Are they really going to follow through on this? Are they going to pull the rug from under you? And then you have this other camp. And I think one good thing about this is that it didn't impact just just physicians. It it impacts a fair amount of folks who are lawyers. And so there's probably hundreds of thousands, if not probably a few million lawyers who were coming out of law school who were also going to be in very big trouble if this uh, this did not pan out. And uh, I think at least trying to look at the the approach and the legal kind of ramifications of this the, the the lawyers seem to feel that if the folks who went to the public service and were on route to pslf that legally there should be enough potential for class action if the rug got pulled out from under them that we're probably going to be okay if you already started the program and you were part way in through it that the government would sort of have to let you finish now thankfully it hasn't looked like it's come to that step if anything it looks like they're trying to actually expand the program and get people more aware about it not try to say oh you know this is a bad idea let's just get rid of it so i was concerned then I mean, there were some online petitions where you know, the, the the ideas it was there were some whispers that there might be bills that would come out to try to kill pslf i don't think they ever ultimately ended up getting introduced but even at that stage there were. Online organizations trying to ask for petitions and support to try to counter those sorts of things. So yes, there are definitely some scares along the way. Uh, that, that being said, I, I think, uh, you know, I think it right now I, I see the climate as being, uh, a, a lot more friendly with the government actually Department of Education trying to actually go out there and, 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 and get people who would have fallen through the cracks. Even those folks try to get them some loans that so, some uh, qualifying loans that would otherwise not have qualified. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've talked to more people than I can even remember. There are lots of people that um, had cl- concerns along the way and a lot of them pulled the plug on it and refinanced and bailed out. And like maybe one of the scary news articles along the way kind of got people thinking, we would get emails about the scary news articles like PSLF is going to explode type news stories. That, and a lot of times they would just uh, refinance. But What's unfortunate about that is the people that, uh, in our experience, in our experience, it has been kind of a little bit of a, a mess, a time bomb, but it's been because of people that aren't keeping up with things like themselves or have not been on the ball about it or weren't proactive like you were and consolidated their loans and tracked their payments along the way. Those have been the people that have been you know, feeling like the rug has been pulled out, But, but like you're saying – for the people that have done what they need to do. And especially with this new PSLF waiver thing, it's like everything's kind of starting to fall into place where it's like they're showing some love towards PSLF. It's like they're almost pushing more towards it and um, the tides are turning quite a bit. But along the way, though, I'm curious, did you um, track your uh, progress yourself? Did you submit like the employer certification? How often did you do it? What was that like?
1: Yeah, so uh, when I when I first started, I think the employer certifications, I think they became available kind of at the end of my fellowship training program before they didn't, um, it, it, it was sort of like, well, at the 10 year mark, you said good luck for the best, right? Yeah. That was <laughs> which is, which is, which is uh, a lot of time to spend on tenter hooks um, and, and only to realize that something has gone horribly wrong along the way. So when I th- think this first came out was during these forms kind of came out during my f- fellowship or the start of my faculty position. And at that point, I went back to uh, where I had done my residency, where I had done my fellowship, and and asked for the employers there to certify my periods of employment there. And then every year from then on, where I'm currently at University of California, Irvine, I've asked my employer to complete the certification form. And so what happens is you, you, you fill out the certification form for the amount of employment that you think you've had that's qualified and then the uh, and and then basically my Fed loan is gonna gonna go through that information and give you an updated tally of how many qualifying payments you've made. So those are basically like you know it's like saving a game when you're playing it. It's like your your game is saved at that point, yeah. And you just keep adding onto that. You never have to go backwards. So once once, once yep. you're certified for qualifying employment, you can rest assured that those payments are are actually qualifying towards your 120 that are required. So. From from my standpoint, I made sure to do it every year. They actually are reasonably. They actually seem pretty chill about the the form. Uh, I, I looked back and I think I was using an older version, just because it was templated in a PDF. I just had to modify the the dates of employment a little bit and send it back to my administrative officer to to sign off, and and they accepted it. So uh, definitely, what I would say is, if you're in a with a stable employer for a, a good amount of time for PSLF, just keep one templated form. Update it every year on your PDF. Send it in, get it sent back, and and just keep tracking your payments and make sure that your count matches what the uh, what what they're telling you. Um, I for me it was never an issue. Uh, everyone was 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 right on the money. There was not a missed count or anything like that. But uh, I, I do know I've heard of some uh, some friends who have uh, initially had some issues and then had to had to bring to the attention of, uh, of the, the the servicer that they had a few payments that should be counted. So just definitely be on the ball about that. Rest assured, though, that once you do get those payments certified, that you're, you're good until the next batch. So just make sure at the end of the day that that count matches the count that you expect.
0: Yeah, you're definitely in the minority there. In our experience, working with people is that very much the majority have not had... The number, like their count, has been higher than their official count, which is not not the best place to be, for various reasons. But um, I think with this PSLF waiver program, part of the design behind that is to help clean that up and provide a more accurate and audited, I guess, like you know, second set of eyes on the payment count. Hopefully, that improves that uh, tracking along the way. Yeah, if, if any of you guys listen and have you know discrepancies in your numbers, it's supposed to be part of this PSLF waiver program that's happening. Is they're supposed to be doing audits of everybody's uh, progress? You just have to submit the employer certification in order to be eligible for the period of time. So as long, the key takeaway is you gotta be submitting employer certifications uh, for any given period of time. The other key that you mentioned, Neil, is like. You are doing it every year. Our experience with people, a lot of times, you know, people, most people are procrastinators and they kind of delay and they'll do like, you know, five years and then submit one. It takes forever and it's a mess when you're submitting five years versus if you break it into year increments, it's a lot better. I mean, it's more
1: efficient, typically faster processing. Yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot faster to do it that way. And then, especially, uh, you know, once if you're at a, if you're again, if you're at a stable organization for a a reasonable duration of time, you're pretty much going to have likely one person that you're going to communicate with that was going to certify as the official on your behalf. And so once you get to know that person and know what the form is about, it's pretty fast to, to, to to get it done. The the initial legwork is, is, is well worth the peace of mind that to to just get it done on an annual basis. Uh, And with regards to the, uh, to the PSLF wa- wa- waiver program, uh, my understanding is that one now has until October of next year to kind of get previously uh, previous employment or uh, loan repayment that would not have qualified, potentially qualified. So it, it's definitely a golden opportunity to uh, do the housekeeping there and get that done and see if there's other missed payments that would not have qualified previously that it will now be uh, that will now be qualifying. So definitely you know go back to the previous employers get the employer certification form and just uh just contact the contact the servicer and 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 get those in um you know there's like a year to do it but now it'd be a golden opportunity to get that done
0: yeah i think it's next halloween 2022 yeah, next is halloween, I think. the deadline and i like it's going to be a mad rush so like do it now <laughs> give give yourself some time but like that's the absolute deadline is to Submit all your employment certification by then, and then also if you have FFEL loans, you got to do direct consolidation before the, then as well.
1: Right, and so for me, the direct consolidation happened automatically once I once I submitted the the initial form for. I um, think you know, yeah, it was for it was for consolidation. My loans got consolidated, and then it got the the servicer got transferred over to uh, PHEAA, which is my Fed loan. Yep. So, what was it like the final application? yeah so it's it's a little surprising because you're expecting kind of like this momentous set of things and it it kind of isn't like it the result the result gets there but you're expecting this very formalized process or this this letter in the mail saying congratulations you're done so what it was for me there's the updated employer certification form uh, that that's available, which I downloaded, and uh, I think there was a there was a section on there, and it was basically the same form I've been sending out for for multiple years. But I think the one difference was that on this version, there's a. A question that says, you know, do you feel, do you believe you qualify for loan forgiveness at this point? And if so, what do you want done with your monthly payments, uh, in the interim that we process this? And I chose, well, I knew I hit 120. So I basically just went ahead and said, look, I want my loans put into forbearance. I don't want to, I don't want to get another bill, even though the administrative forbearance for COVID is still underway. I just didn't want to take the risk that, you know, I get another bill later on have to pay some money and then have to get it refunded later. I just chose to take the risk that, look, I know I'm at 120. I'm going to get this done. So uh, just put my loans into forbearance and don't bill me anymore uh, until you guys figure this out. Uh, so I think that was the only real change that was on that form. It was the same form as before. Um, so I uploaded it, uh, waited for uh, waited for a bit. Um, I think it was for the initial, to get the initial, certif- initial uh, message that I had hit 120 qualifying payments with the updated employer certification form. That part took a little bit longer than it has in years past before it was a couple of days to get the updated employer certifications certified. Uh, this one took slightly longer, I think probably on the order of um, two to three weeks for that portion. And then what happened is that I I, I logged into my FedLoan account and I saw this like golden cup trophy thing that says, Congratulations, you've you've hit 120 qualifying payments, but my loan balance was still the 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 same as it was, you know, in 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 the uh in in the high hundreds of thousands dollars. And so well the trophy's a good sign though. (laughs) Yeah I was kind of waiting on that like hey I've got this trophy but I still see a loan balance. What's kind of going on here? Um it turns out that when I call them my Fed loan is not the is not the one that grants you your final sort of forgiveness. They take your application, they compile everything. They see that you've hit 120 qualifying payments. They then give that information as a part of education and they have to sort of get their blessing uh, and approval to clear out your loans. So on November 3rd, I got, I logged into my account to see the trophy. On November 11th, I logged into my account and I saw that there was zero balance. Um, and at that point, I couldn't even click on things to get loan history or prior payment. So that has sort of formally cleared. Uh, I got a notification from Credit Karma just yesterday that uh, the, the, the Fed loan account has closed out. Um, and so that is officially zeroed out. Bizarrely enough, I was told that I was supposed to get some sort of letter or something formally attesting that I've gotten forgiveness, but I've not gotten that yet. So I'm not really sure what to specifically expect. That being said, you know, certainly the loan balance is zero, the account's actually closed out. So what I can't speak to is whether there's some final really official letter saying, hi, congratulations, you're completely done, your balance is zero, or if you just accept the fact that your balance is zero in the portal and the fact that your account is closed out.
0: Yeah. I mean, you would think it would be big, and like you said, I don't know—at least a letter. I would—I would think there's a letter, but um, that would be reassuring to see the credit report be zero and and the fact that Fed loans shows a zero dollar balance. It's it, it could just be that that's their process, I guess, for for doing it. The, these are this is all you're at the Neil's at the very kind of early crop of people getting this, so we're still kind of figuring out what this is going to look like. Um, I think the biggest thing is that it is happening. I mean, like people are getting forgiveness. One thing I wanted to clarify. So like Neil is on the ball, I can tell just from our conversation with his student loans. You know, most people are busy and not and not so excited about student loans and are not as on the ball. And so for 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 the average person, I would lean towards not choosing forbearance when you submit that final application um, if you're not sure about where you're at. You heard Neil mention he was sure he was at the 120th payment. So it doesn't really matter at that point. But if you're unsure, you know, maybe you're at 116, maybe 17, or maybe you think you're just kind of close, I would choose to go ahead and continue making payments while they calculate it just to make sure case because they are required to refund those, you know, if you make extra payments beyond then. So that's just kind of a clarification there. But as we wrap up, Neil, I'm curious if you have um, any other words of wisdom, mainly for like the younger folks that are kind of early in on this and thinking about their path
1: yeah I think uh, r- r- right now as it turns out so back in my day it was FFEL loans and you had direct and and you, you, you had you had basically FFEL and it was subsidized and unsubsidized and and, and now I think there's no um, there's nothing else except for the direct loan if you get that type of loan so you're you're already in a qualifying loan without having to do a specific consolidation, which is which is great. You know, if you're if you're just kind of if you're just kind of starting out, it it's it might not be a bad idea just to keep this on the table as a potential option. Uh, it doesn't obligate you to, um, you know, it doesn't obligate you to basically go into a public service organization. One thing in retrospect that I, I should share that I think is, is is pretty useful is that, you know, so say you just you just finished medical school, you're about to start your residency. If you have, you know, if you're in with 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 my Fed loan through the direct loan format then your income, unless you've been earning money on the side while you're in med school, your last tax return that's going to be used to compute your first year of residency payment, your payments during your first year of residency should actually be zero. So, uh, you know, technically, and I wish I'd known this because at that time, I, there, was, there was years of eligibility that I missed. And right off the bat, I was basically trying to pay interest on, on these student loans and, and, and spending quite a bit of money each month, especially on a resident wage trying to do that. Whereas I could have been qualifying for public service loan forgiveness and paying $0 payments for like a year. So I think, you know, off the bat, like your first year, if you do it right, you pretty much should be paying little to zero to little for that first year of payments that you have during residency and and, and in a 501c with your organization. So your first year of payments should actually be zero um, if you kind of do it right. And then the, the, the other thing too, um, I would say is that, oh, there's one thing that was important. Uh, yeah, I wish I that was definitely one thing that I wish I'd known in in, 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 in in retrospect. And I think that would save a lot of money. You can't use the, I can't afford it excuse. Yeah, that would have been. oh, and the second thing yeah, that, that brings out the second point, which is what I want to say is definitely do what you can to minimize your adjusted gross income. So certainly if there's uh if there's employer pre-tax retirement saving funds that you can contribute to, do what you can to maximize all of those. Um, it, most people usually can do, You know they change it every year, but if you're like 401k or or, or 403b or 457, usually people have access to like one of those. Um, in my institution, we actually have access to 403b and 457. So I can contribute up to like 39 to 40,000 a year total between the two plans pre-tax. And that helps to minimize the adjusted growth and safer retirement. So uh, since your, since your monthly payment is going to be computed on your uh, discretionary income, the lower you can make your, uh, the lower you can make your apparent income look, the better. And if you can save for retirement at the same time, by all means, do it. So definitely, try what you can. If you're not going to be paying towards your loans, at least pay towards your your retirement for your for your residency. And contribute into whatever. Uh, whatever pre-tax 401k plan you might have, for instance. And that way, instead of paying your loans, you're paying into your retirement savings. You're also decreasing the amount that you're going to be paying on a monthly basis towards those loans if you're going to go for forgiveness or at least keeping the option open. So those are the things I would have told myself in retrospect had had I known about this.
0: Right, yep. It's a great, great time to be, like if you're in training and I mean, that's not only all the things you mentioned, you also have like huge compound interest because you're so young and it's just, the best time possible to be socking away money into retirement plans, and if you happen to have a zero-dollar loan payment, it's like, well, you know, the money, like you're saying, the money you would have had to pay the student loans, you can at minimum put that away.
1: Yeah, it's one year. and then you can do, um, you know, also the the other thing too. It's a little bit timing dependent because I, I think my my annual. Recertification kind of came right around tax time where I would have to give my updated income every year to uh to my Fed loan for the recomputation of my loan, my, my loan stuff. But it was also to the point where if if it's timed correctly, I was able to use basically the the return from I think the the year prior or the year before that. I don't quite right. remember, but it was basically right at the cusp where it'd be like two years before. Yeah, it's like I would basically wait to file my taxes until right after submitting the recertification so that my most recent set of filings wouldn't be at a higher income level. So you can think about these timing logistics as well to try to minimize the burden that you're going to have to pay.
0: Yep. Yeah, there's lots of strategy. And then if you if you're, it gets a little even even more strategic, you get married and have a spouse with going for PSL as well, then it's like, oh, there's a lot. But the good thing is there's all kinds of strategies. So the things Neil, Sharon, and many more, there's all kinds of strategies um you know that you guys can be thinking about as you're pursuing that and a lot ideally the best are those ones like you mentioned like putting into a retirement plan even if you end up not going for bslf it's still a good thing to do so it's like you can't go wrong with that that type of move definitely awesome neil well i appreciate you chatting with me about this and uh, taking the time to talk through this today
1: thanks for having me daniel i appreciate it glad to share
0: as always thank you so much for joining us today If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also, check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor.